welcome to the Saturday Night Soft Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Marler, you've got like six buttons undone on your shirt, so I'm yeah. going to ask this. I'm going to ask this question knowing the answer, I think. How was your Super Bowl? Oh, man. Uh... It was a it was a doozy. I'll say that. Um, it was fun. I had a good time. We went to a, a bar, my favorite bar in Atlanta, Diesel. Um, hung out there for the game. Queso and Allie came for the first half, and then I stayed. Uh, they left, and then I stayed for like the rest of the game. And um, had about I don't know. I don't want to say the total amount, but an uncomfortable amount of money out on prop bets, and ended up like up five dollars, which was not my oh. favorite, but at least I won. So there's that. That's, How was your entertainment? Um, it, a little bit different. Um, I did not go out for the Super Bowl, which I am more in this. I mean, this is just me as I, you know, get to this this point in my life where I don't really want to go out and like m- yeah. make massive plans for the Super Bowl. But um, ended up just having a nice, nice, quiet night in. Got some of our our favorite um, newer favorite beers. Had you know appetizers, stuff like that. Kind of yeah. you know typical typical stuff. But was actually able to stay awake for the entire thing for it and um we i think got through just now you and i talking for about what a minute and 20 seconds have got through longer than every other radio station in the country without talking about the halftime show so kudos to us what yeah what was that everyone so upset about with that oh people were upset i thought people just had their their mouth hit the floor it was incredible it was absolutely incredible (laughs) big shout out by the way i said this last night um but Shakira, I forgot to bring this up before beforehand. Uh, humble brag: Shakira is my aunt and uncle's neighbor. She lived like down, like down the street when when they lived like in the Bahamas. They still do live in the Bahamas. But like when I was down there, like in the summers when I used to work down there, we'd be like out like walking or just you know pulling into the neighborhood and be like, oh, there's Shakira. I'm like, what? There's what? There's who? Like Shakira, Shakira. Post tips like don't Shakira. lie. That's that's pretty epic too. Yeah, it's true. It was um, it was a, an incredible performance. J Lo's 50 years old. I, I just, regardless of what you, everybody's like, oh my gosh, did you see, you know, how good they looked, all that stuff. Like, for me, just being able to physically move that well at age 50 is unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. I was, we talk about the prop bets and we'll keep talking, we'll talk about them when we talk about the actual game itself, but I was shocked, I think the upset of the night, um, you could bet on, uh, with our friends at betonline.ag. Oh yeah. And it was... But it's like minus two fifty. It's like who will show cleavage at the oh, halftime gosh. show? And it was like J Lo, Shakira, both or neither. And the fact that neither came out. With what about Pitbull? Cleavage? What was Pitbull on those? Odds? Yeah, was he on there? No, didn't even make it to the half to the halftime yeah. show. Yeah, poor so. Pitbull. Uh, the actual game itself, though, we're going to talk a little bit about the actual game. We've got a lot of stuff to get to today. Got an interview with our good buddy Matt Miller, aka NFL Draft Scout, on Twitter. He was at the Super Bowl, so he talked to us beforehand about a lot of different draft stuff. He was also at the Senior Bowl, so we had some takeaways from that. Very interesting little nugget on Jake Fromm. Just teaser there. I'm um, going to talk a little bit about the SEC having $651 million to be able to distribute to a bunch of different, to all 14 schools. Um, there's some pre-late signing day. That's a weird, that's a mouthful to say that. Pre-late signing day storylines that we're going to get to as well. Because mm-hmm. wouldn't you know it, Jordan Birch and Zachary Evans are continuing to just keep SEC fans just all sorts of confused. Um, yeah. And then we're going to do a little XFL preview stuff as well because, you know what, our good buddy Tom Hart is the yeah. main play-by-play guy, play, play-by-play guy for the XFL. So we're going to talk a, a, just a couple of XFL things and about some names that are really familiar for SEC fans. But first, let's talk about the Super Bowl and not the halftime show. Um, 
a lot of people today, at least in the college football circles from what I've seen, are talking about Pat Mahomes and how it's amazing to think about what he was in college and how he has transitioned into what he is in the NFL. And, you know, I think that, and we got into this a little bit with Matt Miller as well, you know, Pat Mahomes, credit to him because he finally was able to match the amount of SEC wins he had with Super Bowl wins. He, <laughs> he has won a piece for, for those, so credit yeah. to him for that. But in, in all seriousness, like, I'm actually kind of here for the whole Pat Mahomes being this generation's Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. I'm okay with that. And you know what? I think it doesn't really matter kind of his background, and everybody's going to point to that at this point and say, oh, well, Texas Tech, this is the way of the future, and you have to come from this offense and do this, this, and this. It's like I think really talented quarterback went to the right place to develop, and he is a really, really fun person to watch right now. It's It's been awesome to watch. I brought this up a while ago, and I think with the NFL too – People have gotten so bored and with just like the stale, you know, lack of, not, I don't want to say lack of drama, but the storylines. It's every year it seems like the Patriots are, are in the Super Bowl or they win the Super Bowl. And it's, you know, it's kind of the same thing with like Patriots fatigue. It's like, you know, kind of like the band fatigue. And it was fun to watch other teams like like playing for the Super Bowl title this year. Like that, that just the fact that the Patriots weren't in it. Like that was, I think that was a relief in, in it, you know, in and of itself for a lot of people. I will say the Pat Mahomes thing, I think I brought this up, I think right before the playoffs started and it was like, is this the, like the year we finally see like a changing of the guard from these like older quarterbacks like Breeze and, and you know, he might retire now. Brady, I think is going to come back, but like Breeze, Brady, those like, you know, players that I feel like have been around for like 30 years. You know Roethlisberger, what I mean? Eli, River, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like all of them. And uh, but the, you know especially in the playoffs are they are the young like the young guys that we hear so much about and there's all this like promise like Lamar Jackson and, and Pat Mahomes are they going to be the guys that finally get their teams to the Super Bowl and they win the Super Bowl and it was it was cool to watch it was cool to see you know them do it I don't think people are going to start saying how they you know you got to go to this Texas Tech air raid offense so you can be like to get prepared for the NFL I think in this situation this dude is blessed with like the strongest arm I think I've ever seen on a football field. And he can just do things that no one else can. And he also like what the, the way they built that offense was just pure speed. It just they were better, they were faster, and they they you know Mahomes has a better arm. He can put the ball in like better windows than anyone else in the NFL. They were faster than any team I think I've ever seen. Speaking of speed, how about Debo Samuel in this game? Watching the touches that he had. If you're a South Carolina fan watching Debo, obviously you've got a sense of pride, somebody who meant a lot to that program and was a key playmaker at a point when they were really searching for that. They were desperate of playmakers those last couple years that he was there. But just a painful reminder of how underutilized he was. And I thought, you know, throughout the playoffs, it was pretty evident watching him and the way that he was being used in these running packages where you wonder what he could have done at South Carolina had he been around the right offensive mind because the yeah. speed is just, it's ridiculous. And when you see him getting on the edge, you're just like, with the head of steam, he is so fun to watch. And I, I, I thought it was so funny that uh, Will Muschamp originally had the tweet about, there was this graphic that he tweeted out. It was like, longest run from a non-running back to start off a Super Bowl ever. And he he deleted it, but I, it was later corrected to it was the longest run ever by a wide receiver in the Super Bowl, the 32 yard run yeah. that Debo had, which is it's kind of amazing, game, right? Yeah, first first play first play of the game, and um, it's amazing to think about. Oh, South Carolina is like bragging about this, but it, at the same time, it's actually like, oh crap, we probably should have used him like that a little yeah. bit more. 25 crew rushing attempts during his South Carolina career. 20 as as a rookie with the 49ers he had 53 rushing yards on sunday which is three fewer rushing yards than he had his entire junior and senior seasons combined i realized he was banged up for part of that but 
Like, how do you watch that game as a South Carolina fan and not have a little piece of you just like, oh, this sucks. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, and the thing with Debo is too, like he's his speed, like his game speed is different than like his like That's you know, a good point. him at the combine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he he's just he looks like he's in like a different level when he gets out um in that in actual game. And I will say my buddy Ted, I'll give him a shout out because you know, you know how I love the prop bets. This like yesterday is probably my favorite gambling day of the year. It is the entire day. Because it's stress-free for you. You like that. Yeah, it's awesome. It's yeah. like, there's, like I don't have to, like, I'm not like, cheering for a real team. Like, I realized afterwards, I, I, could, I did, like, I did a lot less research this year than last year. Last year, I put in work, like, beforehand. I had all these different bets and the reasons why behind them and all that kind of stuff. But um, I, I looked at it for, like, two hours, and then I realized at the very end, I was like, oh, my God. I've got this much money out on these bets. I didn't even bet on the actual game itself. Like it was just like who's gonna win the game. But the, my buddy uh, Ted, he was like, he's like, I tell you what, and he was drunk at the time, and he's like, best bet you make hands down, Debo Samuel over over seventeen yards rushing. And I was like, hmm, seems like a lot. And first play of the game, he he, he passed it. Wow. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, that's that. That was uh, it. Was fun to see him kind of get his shine. Think about where he was a year ago, and a guy that obviously didn't get to play for a bunch of you know highly successful teams in South Carolina. How about watching Honey Badger get to celebrate a Super Bowl victory, considering the the road that he's been on? Yeah, and, you know, a guy who's kicked off the team at LSU almost a decade ago. I mean, that's that's crazy to think about. That is like, crazy to think about. We're getting we're getting to that point. Um, but I'm he, gonna tie it into every everything with the with the prop bets because his was i said this was like from the get-go i think like my locks of the week was like over five and a half tackles for honey badger he had six Loved oh he it. did get to six he, he did get to six yeah. at the end he yeah. had a great tweet too uh he had oh, a great yeah, tweet yeah. about his dad and that was, that was really cool cool tweeting after too about thanking the media for being able to share his story kind of how much yeah. it meant to him i like seeing when it means i mean to paraphrase when it means more for for certain yeah. guys you could just tell you know the road that they've been on and all that and what it means to be able to, to win a super bowl um on a different note the commercials i'm not going to sit here and rip the commercials and say that commercials and yeah. Bowl aren't good anymore the internet has ruined our impressions of like what a super bowl commercial can and should be because we there are, there's just more funny content out there in my opinion yeah but, um the google commercial like google come on man <sighs> i know so why so that was out at the bar i don't even know if i saw that what, what was so it was essentially like the notebook meets a 2020 commercial for google for the google home i think it was a google home mini but maybe just the google okay. home um but it was this um this this older man who was telling Google, hey, remember, remind me to you know uh, think about the way that she used to do blah blah blah, talking about his wife and making sure. That, oh God, yeah, it was tearjerker. Oh, big time, big time. Like every everybody that I saw on Twitter that had a comment about that was was about how okay, you really had to mess with our emotions in the middle of that. Yeah, in the middle of that game right there when forgetting that Google actually has been. Stealing all of our stuff for the last, you know, however long, and of course they they, they know way more about us than we probably um, than they probably should. But yeah. um, you're so you're not going to know in terms of a lot of the commercials and stuff because you were out. But this again, one of the benefits of being able to like stay in and kind of like process that that I like. The uh, John Krasinski um, was in that the, was the best one, the Hyundai one. Yeah, and I saw that before. Can't pack the cat. <laughs> Can't pack the cat. Pack it in the habit. Um, that was Chris, so good. Chris Evans, Rachel Dratch, Big Poppy. I, I like that one uh, a lot. I thought that was really good. Um, the Snickers hole. That, that was I think, great. I think that was my favorite because so I went to um, if you like the commercial itself is great. You know, it's basically saying the world's got a bunch of problems. You know, whatever it is, 
it just seems like there are so many different issues, politics, and you know, people too into technology, whatever. And um, you know, can't even find milk is made out of something new every day. And uh, at the end of it, though, when they push those two, those two people like fall into the massive hole, and it's the two people who are <laughs> trying to take a selfie. Yeah, they're yeah. trying to take a selfie. <laughs> I, I went to Horseshoe Bend in Arizona um, back in May of last yeah. year, and there were so many people just like that who were one little misstep away from falling to their death, from yeah. taking stupid selfies. And it is my new like 21st century pet peeve to watch people do that. So everything in me said in that moment in the commercial to cheer when that happened. Right. Because those people are so, so ridiculously dumb. Snickers gets a... a Big big tip of the cap from me for doing that. I that one that one was really good. I, there's a and there's a Instagram account that just started. It's actually a, a a dude like I've known through social media stuff for a long time. Tank Sinatra. Do you follow him at all? Mm-mm. He just started doing comedy too. But um, so he had he had his own just a meme account on Instagram. I guess give him a follow. He's really funny. And then he he got up over. I think it has over two million followers now or something like that. It's crazy crazy big. It's like one of the biggest ones. Like you know. Um, out there and then he started another one called tanks good news where it's just posting good news like just things that like brighten your day and that ballooned up he got on ellen and all this stuff so he started this thing that's like over a million followers so he started this new one um on his own just on a whim called influencers in the wild oh man and he started to it's it's exactly this it's exactly this like what you were just describing from the cigarette commercial it has it's been up for two weeks already has over a million followers in two I, weeks. I'm going to follow that as soon as we yeah, get off this hilarious. call. For it's sure. hilarious. Um, the Jason Momoa one was awesome. Oh, yeah, where he's, he's skinny all of a sudden. That was pretty good. Um, how about how about Toby going to jail? Did you see, I see that? I didn't see that one. Okay. Um, I, I don't even remember. It was like Case of the Mondays or something. I don't remember what the commercial was for, but there was just Toby, the, um, the actor who plays Paul Lieberstein, who um, basically was like in all these different scenarios, and there was like a two-second clip of him in jail and there's an inmate that walks up behind him and he's confused and he look he still looks exactly like toby right so i took a picture of it and i said finally the real scranton strangler goes to jail that's good uh, but um, yeah nice seeing toby finally get justice for that the the sam elliott doritos one where he they did like the little dance off with little nas x and then yeah, that was pretty mustache good. did like that the was, little yeah. wave thing that was hilarious i like that one i'm trying to think there was a couple that stood out that were like, was like the mr peanut thing i didn't get why, at all. Can we stop so trying to be relevant, Mr. Peanut. I mean, I get that I we're talking that about it was. now. I, well, they, they, they laid rest to, to real Mr. Peanut, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, actually, I'm back and I'm alive. I, I don't, whatever. I mean, was it like a spoof on Baby Yoda? Uh, yeah, either way. I don't know. It, I think it, it was, was. It was just weird. The Tom Brady um, thing, too, was also interesting. Like the, see, I missed that one, too. I think the, the one that, uh, the one that was the most puzzling and surprising and, and maybe dumbest was the Avocados from Mexico commercial. Because yeah. it was like second or third break, which is a lot of money to mm-hmm. put to put into a commercial, and it was just, it was it was real bad. Like yeah, I didn't. Up your avocado for travel, like what are you talking about? I didn't need to have Molly Ringwald selling me avocados. I mean, I, I you know, close to an avocado a day. I'm uh, I'm good on that. I don't I don't need any yeah. more selling. They've already got me hook, line, and sinker. This that made me rethink my avocado consumption. Shout out Tim Debo. Let's talk about the SEC, the headline that we saw at the end of last week. And there's something else that I want to tie into this sirens. a little bit later on. Here we oh, go. we got sirens. Welcome, welcome to Atlanta. Uh, the SEC bringing in $651 million in revenue for the 2018-2019 school year, 
$44.6 million per school. Some quick quick hitting numbers on this that, that are relevant. That's up a $1.5 million average per school from last year. It's a total of nearly $200 million more since the last SEC season without the SEC network, which was the 2013-14 school year. That all comes from TV contracts, bowl revenue, playoff, and then championships in all sports as well. So it's not just a football thing. I know people are wondering about that. The immediate reaction to seeing something like that, any dollar figure now like this, where we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, is, well, what about the players? That's the right. first thought all the time now. And I saw a lot of tweets about this. And it, you know, I've since kind of changed my thinking about this because these numbers have gotten so high. Administrators continue to brag about this. And, you know, Sankey was getting on Twitter and he had a couple of, you know, a couple of little shots that he fired off where he's talking about, you know, the SEC's impact and, and, and whatnot. This whole thing is inevitably going to change. I mean, there's no way this, these, these, these numbers are going to continue to balloon and there's yeah. not going to be some sort of kickback on the back end to continue to justify not giving student-athletes some sort of a cut in some way of that ridiculously large number. Yeah, you know, this is one of those things like a double-edged sword, I think, that where you want to you see that number and you instantly kind of want to pat yourself on the back and how incredible that is you know what i mean like that is it's not strictly from just football right it's like this is no all sports all sports right so like it it is it's one of those things where yeah you do kind of want to like you know brag or boast about it a little bit but you leave yourself vulnerable to like you said that exact reaction of man that's a lot of money that's a lot of money the conference is making then then the schools that are making and then when you go from there like that's not even bringing in like what each individual school also makes during the season from these games and, and then like, you know, the kids aren't, aren't getting as much of a cut. So the, the argument itself, I think is getting like a little bit tiresome because, because I feel like what I've noticed more than anything is people are, are it's like politics. People are just standing on both. Like they haven't, they haven't moved or wavered from like their stance. You know what I mean? You're not changing anyone's mind. Um, My mind's actually been changed a little bit. I'll, I'll be honest. Okay. I, I think it actually has the more I see these figures because like I said, I mean, when you're adding $200 million onto that number in, in a five-year stretch, that is just so much money to continue to yeah. say, oh, well, there's just not enough money there to be able to do this, this, and this. And I'm not one of those people that's saying like that it should be total anarchy because that crowd is a little bit too vocal at all points, and they're saying that the administration is just greedy and the kids should get all of this. Like That's not how this works. It's not how it's ever going to work. But to sit here and continue to sit behind this, this same stance when – Stuff changes. Stuff evolves. The sport has evolved so much. And we can't continue to sit here and just say that everything is the same. And, oh, well, we didn't do this 20 years ago. There weren't weren't cash and checks this big 20 years ago or anything close to that. No. All all of the – everything about the NCAA for the most part is antiquated anyway. And it's really – that's one of the biggest frustrations I have with them because they – you know, they – we've said this before. I've brought it up several times. They just seem to not be able to get out of their own way. Like where they just – Every single turn where you think they'll make the right decision on something, they don't. So I, I guess I, I'm kind of at the point where I've, I've always thought that the players should get paid like, and you should figure out a way to regulate it and make it, make it you know, fair and, and somehow not like, you know, the just the wild, wild west that we saw like in the 70s and 80s with recruiting and stuff like that. But at the same time, what I really want to know from, from like the, the financial standpoint is, one, who's going to be the first conference that gets to a billion? Because, like, I mean, think about this this number, $651 million from the SEC. We're not even a good basketball conference. We, we got really we were good last year. We had a team go to the Final Four. But, like, it's not like Kentucky is 
you know, winning national championships year in, year out still. You know, so like that's one reason I think the Big Ten has so much. But the other um, the other thing I want to know is what is this money going to? Because if it's not going to the athletes, it obviously isn't. What is it going to? Is it going stuff to directly benefit them? Um, or, yeah, that's that's yeah. the justification. That's the justification yeah. is that it goes directly back into being able to fund these incredible upgrades that these schools are getting. And it's so that you don't have to sit there and try and get $40 million from boosters to be able to do what you want to do to build up your facilities. Now, obviously, yeah. you still need fundraising, and that's still a big part of this, but you have more options. I mean, the, the figure came out today. USA Today had the number about... Georgia's spending $3.7 million on recruiting, which is up over a million bucks from last year. And Georgia last year was already the top spending school in terms of recruiting on an annual basis. And like this money is just continuing to increase. And yes, we can sit here and talk about the decline in attendance and all that stuff. But the reality is the sport has figured out other ways to be able to to make money off of that. And once these, these negotiations with these TV contracts go final, because we've talked about that as well with now the SEC deviating from the CBA contract that CBS was getting the SEC on a great bargain that 55 million dollar yeah. you know check that they were cashing it's going to be a different ball game now and so the Big Ten is actually leading the SEC that's the crazy yeah. thing because the Big Ten has more sports involved in this as well the Big Ten actually had last year a 77 $159 million to $627 million advantage on the SEC for the 2017-2018 school year the Big Ten numbers don't come out until the spring. They won't come out for the 2018-2019 school year for a few more months. But this came out a day after, you know, or I guess the Big Ten news came out a day later, finding out that the Big Ten proposed this idea of um, immediate eligibility for transfers. Right. So one-time deal, you transfer, you're eligible. It doesn't matter if you're a grad transfer, undergraduate, whatever it is. And if you're in, you know, base, if you're in, I think the sports were baseball, basketball, football, women's basketball, I can't remember the entire list of it, but that was going to be the justification of, look, let's just kind of get rid of this. But, you know, as soon as that report comes out, you hear, you you could instantly hear the crying from big time coaches, I'm sure, because people like Dabo Sweeney are going to look at that and they're going to, they're going to, you know, do whatever they possibly can to avoid that because they say that creates the wild, wild west. Those numbers right there look like the wild, wild west. $651 yeah, million dollars looks like the wild, wild west. It's just in a different way. Agreed. Completely agree, Connor. And like and the issue I have with the reason why the, the college coaches are are getting upset about this, and I brought this up a long time ago on the pod, and it was a weird thing to say, and you're not gonna find a lot of sympathy like towards this from a lot of people because of how much money they make, you know. But this whole thing with the transfer portal, it makes the coaches' jobs so much more difficult. And it like, does. You yep. have to constantly recruit these kids, you know, not not just when they're in high school or, you know, but like throughout while they're still in your school and like trying to prevent them from leaving or trying to go find other grad transfers to bring in. And it's just, it's a, you know, kind of created this like revolving door, which is, it's really tough to manage because you have so many, I mean, you have, you have 85 scholarship kids and you have over 100 on your team that you're having to manage 18 to 22 year olds, their emotions, their feelings, playing time, all this stuff. And, you know, that, that's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. And I think the reason why, if you make it even easier for, like, students just to leave and there's not, like, a, like a really a repercussion for it, it would, I think, probably create more people in the transfer portal, without a doubt. I think I think everyone would agree with that. But the issue is, like, if you're not going to give them that, because you have to give some, you have to make some concessions and give something back to the athletes, you know what I mean, and make it worthwhile for them. And if you're not going to do that, like, what, just pay them 2000 a month. Just, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they're already doing it. 
They're they're already getting paid. So like, why don't we just be upfront about where it's coming from? The interesting thing too is that we find out that there is apparently something a bill that was proposed to Congress about coaches' salaries getting regulated as well. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, if there's some sort of cap that's put on that, where you know if the the university president has to be the highest paid employee at a public university or something That's like so that, stupid. how much that would potentially change the game at these universities. I, really what it would ultimately come down to is the Clemson university president would just get nine and a half million bucks in right. a given year. But, Which I'm sure they want. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, the worst thing in the world, but if all these things continue to happen, coaches are just going to continue to, to, to be frustrated about it and they're going to cry about yeah. it and say this, this system is, is unfair and we're not, we're taking away too much from us and there's going to there's going to have the to NFL. be some, yeah then 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 that opens up that question is what well, what then you know pushes them to the NFL if if all these rules and they feel like they're getting all these restrictions left and right that's a good point and if you if you bring up like this is it frustrates me so much that politicians of all people are trying to cap salaries in a free market and and that is mind-blowing to me because you know what like if we want to cap their salaries right like let's why don't we just do literally we'll take a page out of politicians books and be like you know what nick saban from now on you're only allowed to make one hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars a year and then when you report your taxes later on like every single senator in this country you tell us where the other i don't know 10 million came from that you, that you had you know what i mean like you're they're gonna get it either way so there's no point in doing this it's just a waste of time yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. But a lot of things appear to be happening. And I think that this is uh, maybe maybe seeing numbers like this a little bit more so when they jump out, everybody sort of yeah. has a reaction to them. It is going to get the ball rolling with some of these things that, in my opinion, at this point are overdue. And I have since I've yeah. changed my tune on that for sure. I'll, I will say too about the coaches thing. This is one of my all-time favorite quotes. And I think it sums this up perfectly because people do get upset about that. Like, And I think it's usually people that aren't football fans or sports fans that don't really get it like you know like why is Nick Saban making more than the governor or like you know than this person or blah blah, blah. and like people get really upset about that I get it if it's Harbaugh because he hasn't won anything but um <laughs> but like there was a quote I remember when Babe Ruth this is like I forgot what year it was I want to say it was like 23 or something like that and 1923 and he said uh he he signed his contract with the Yankees and it I think it was for a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars and somebody asked and they said, that's more than the president makes. And his response was, I had a better year. And I yep. think that, like, I mean, dude, <laughs> like, you can't really, Coach O, make whatever you want, man. You had a better year than most most anyone. So I just, I, I, I can't imagine them actually capping those salaries. So. Welcome to capitalism, folks. Uh, it's been here for a while. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. Pre-late signing day storylines. I want to talk about a, a few things here. And two, two players specifically who are five-star guys who... I, depending on when you're listening to this, maybe you'll have a different read on where they're going to end up at school. But as of right Jeez. now, nothing seems certain. Jordan Birch is somebody who we talked about after the early signing period, committing to South Carolina. He was supposed to sign with South Carolina that day. Of course, the Hammond High School product. Shout out to your former stomping grounds. Skyhawks. Um, and ultimately that didn't happen. And then we hear afterwards that it didn't happen because... He was planning on signing with his teammates, and South Carolina fans were like, everybody just relax, all right? This is going to be fine. But then we're also hearing, despite the fact that he apparently hasn't wavered on his commitment to South Carolina, he is still having another announcement on Wednesday. Um, 
I don't know then why he would visit LSU um, and why there is a need for another announcement if he's already committed to South Carolina. But this whole thing is just weird. It's really weird. Yeah. So I, I was pretty staunch on, on like the people that I've talked to at Hammond. Um, they've said from the get go, they were like, oh, we don't know. We have no idea. We don't know where he's going to go. And this, then he commits to South Carolina. And so then it be kind of it became a thing where there was almost this like like a little bit of like anger, resentment, and like why are people why are people questioning him? Because you know what he was trying to do was basically just uh, I mean he wanted to sign with his with his teammates. And then it comes out that no, he is taking more trips, and and so right before the national championship game, I remember talking to one of my buddies about this, and he was like, he's like, what you, what is Birch gonna sign? Like, why is he delaying everything? I was like, no, he's he's gonna stay with with South Carolina. And like a day later, um, I had one of our our I'll like say sources send me a text, and he's like, Jordan Birch is gonna go to LSU. You heard it here first, and I, we've been hearing that since like early January, and now everything, all these like pieces start falling into place, and I, I kind of feel like, I mean that. But I don't know. He he was at South Carolina this weekend, so maybe he stays there. But this is, I mean, this has been so bizarre because he, it has been something that he's been like just beloved by South Carolina fans this entire time. It was a huge get, but it is weird that he didn't sign. And then you know, I, I kept thinking there was no reason to really worry about it, but now I guess there is. Wouldn't it be fun if all these things were just transparent and we knew every little thing that was going on, every conversation, and yeah. and all these different things? Because I feel like this is even probably more wild than what we we see at the surface here. And I'm I don't want to necessarily just take any sort of message board rumor as fact because, as we know with recruiting, it's anybody's guess with some of those things sometimes. But this just feels like one of the more bizarre recruitments we've seen for a, for a high profile guy, a five star guy. Who you know? It's not like these these types of talents grow on trees necessarily, and and somebody who would mean a ton for South Carolina media. We've already talked about that impact and what it would mean for Will Muschamp going into what feels like such a make or break year for him. And it it'd be a very strange thing to be talking about after Wednesday about oh you know actually this didn't happen and ultimately he's not going to be staying in state and he's going to go play for the defending national champs. Yeah, it would it would be kind of weird, and it's that's one of those things too because this is not you know. Hammond is is in Columbia, South Carolina. It is a stone's throw from from Williams Bryce, and and on top of that, like his quarterback is Muschamp's son. So I, I think if he doesn't end up at South Carolina, I totally get it because I think especially with like the mass exodus we saw at LSU and everyone they lost, he's gonna play right away. I would assume uh, defensive line's got a lot of talent coming back though. True, but I mean, like I think he was, he's gonna play pretty much anywhere he goes. And I think at a place like LSU where you have the opportunity to learn from under Coach O and get, you know, kind of coached up by, I would assume, a, a better defensive line coach at least, uh, maybe than, than Muschamp, I, I get every reason to to leave and, and, and go to LSU and compete for championships. But if he does not, if he ends up leaving and, and doesn't stay committed to or signing with a USC, that door about, you know, the, it's a keeps creeping opening or creep, creeping open more and more about Muschamp getting fired, that thing's going to get blown wide open. Because if you can't keep this kid and your son is apparently his best friend, like, whoa, like, what are we doing? That'll be a tough, that would be a very tough thing to live down. Not exactly the off-season momentum that he would be looking for. The Zach Evans stuff is even weirder than the Jordan Birch <laughs> stuff. I tried to get a better feel for this, and I tried to, you know, I've been following this story, and I, I was thinking to myself, I, I just need somebody to just explain to me exactly right. what all has gone into this. And I'm probably going to leave some of this out, but I thought 
of all the explanations that I saw, I thought Barton Simmons of CBS Sports had the best sort of explanation of this. And so for those of you who are unfamiliar with what has gone on with the five-star running back out of Texas, this is essentially the, the bullet points of it. He was going to announce that he had signed with Georgia at the Under Armour All-American game. He had already signed with Georgia, national letter of intent, but did it silently. And then all of a sudden, we find out that he got cold feet, did not want to announce it at the Under Armour All-American game, backs out of his letter of intent, which is not something you really see, especially for somebody who signs early and they don't have something big about them come out. And I'm, I'm not going to go assume that anything that's been said on a message board or something like that has come out, you know, whatever it is. But now he apparently is deciding between Ole Miss, Tennessee, Texas A&M, and maybe Florida State. But the weird thing about this is because he has already signed a national letter of intent, right. <laughs> what does this announcement really mean if we even get it? Because he could theoretically back out of it because he doesn't have to sign a national letter of intent and he could show up wherever he wanted to in June. Like that's, I, I don't remember a situation like that in recent memory. No, it, it, it's been, the, the only thing I can I can really think of, like I, I know with the Najee Harris thing, and Barton Simmons talked about this, where it was like, good point. You good didn't point. know where he was going to go, mm-hmm. and he just like they literally had to find out, like like flight tracker, like where he was headed, because he when he left from either San Fran or Oakland, it was like, all right, is he going to Ann Arbor? Or is he going to Birmingham? Like, which where's he where's he flying into? At the U.S. Army All America game, I remember right. that was the big topic of conversation. He's going to leave right after and go to whichever school. Yeah, yeah, because I mean he's he's like one of the more quiet, I think, in private, uh, big time recruits that, that I've seen in, like recent memory. The Evans stuff is just bizarre for so many reasons. Like, you talk about a kid that was sent home from his high school coach before the like the state championship game, which doesn't really happen in the state of Texas. Good point. Uh, or anywhere. Um, and, you know, and I'm not going to speculate on, on what happened at all uh, with that. And I, I think, I, you know, it was it was kind of bizarre having having the Deion Sanders thing where he kind of spoke up for him at the Under Armour All-American game. He's like, Zach's a good kid. And, and he was kind of going to bat for him. Because I think that's really when this all this stuff started to come to light. But... You know, the, I think the most bizarre thing for me is, I, I remember when Cam, Cam when Cam Newton was being recruited and he ended up signing with Auburn. Auburn wasn't in his final three, like three weeks before he ended up signing. Like before he showed up on campus, his final three was Tennessee, Kansas State, and, and Mississippi State. And that's the only other thing I can think of that's even remotely close to this because he's already out of school. He's not even in school right now. Like he's just waiting to go somewhere. Yeah, because he graduated. Yeah, he yeah he could go he could go wherever he got that taken care of and. Yeah, Georgia wasn't even in one of his finalists, and then he asked for a Georgia letter of intent. And all, yeah. so, and he'll get out guess. of the let that. Like, I mean, like Georgia's obviously they've already announced they're going to let him go elsewhere. Um, but yeah, man, this is it's a, you don't see this a lot with like five stars where there's so much drama that 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 like big schools have really taken like you know kind of backed off because there's all there's always like it seems like one story or one kid like this that might be. You know, is he worth like the quote unquote like the hassle of what he might bring to like you know the program? But if it's a five star kid, it's a five star running back. Yeah, like you're 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 gonna sign him no matter what. And with <laughs> the fact that like George is like they have a sign letter and like you take it back, you have it, whatever. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Hey, you don't think uh, Deion Sanders spoke up about that because he's got Florida State interest? You don't think that could have had anything to do with no, that, do you? Not at all. I didn't. Um, even, he wasn't even considering Florida State up until like now. Who knows? It's Ole Miss. Ole Miss the same way. I, I thought A and M would be like the the clear cut destination, but yeah, he apparently. But he's he's from Texas, and he didn't even have one of the Texas schools in his initial. Know, final five and people thought that was weird too i just i have no idea what to make of this and by the end of the week maybe we'll have some sort of clarity but probably not and it's going to be one of those things that 
it's probably just going to toy with the minds of SEC fans for, I, I don't, I don't yeah. want to just say days, but it could be months. It really could be yeah, months. Yeah, I tell you what, man. If Jimbo Fisher turns this kid down, which I don't think he will, but if Jimbo Fisher for some reason is like, I don't think you're a fit at A&M, that, that would speak like like volumes in general, but that would speak louder than anything else, I think, because that guy had to put up with Jameis Winston for three years. So, yeah. oof. The irony of, of the, the Zach Evans the Zach Evans fallout in, in Georgia backing off, giving him back his national letter of intent, is that Georgia actually did get a commitment from uh, Dejon Edwards, and he's a four-star running back, and then moved to number one in the 24-7 sports class rankings. The irony of that is Georgia could theoretically still lose commitments from a pair of blue-chip offensive line recruits who, I'm guessing the Sam Pittman to Arkansas move had something to do with that potentially. You know, Georgia could be without Cedric Van Pran, who could end up at Alabama, and then Broderick Jones stuff we talked about before the early signing period, a five-star offensive lineman who was committed to Georgia but didn't sign on signing day, and Auburn has been rumored to be the place where he's going to end up, took a visit there and all that. So uh, Georgia could still end up, though, with the number one class, which is kind of amazing. They have the number one class now, which is, uh, like, I mean, bury the lead. We always joke around about that, but, like, what an incredible close for this staff. Like, I mean, and I, I guess I'm trying to think, does, does that include um, – I don't think that includes uh, – what do you call it? Evans, right? No, I don't, no, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. Okay. I could be wrong on that. So That'd be weird. that in itself is crazy um, that they still have, could be number one. But yeah, man. Like I mean, you have you have five five guys ranked in the uh, in the top fifty. You've got four five stars. Um, I, I don't know if they're gonna end up holding on to to Jones, but I mean, either way, they they have a incredibly strong class. And and I, I like if they were able if they were able to close with the number one class, and they have fewer players. And I think pretty much everyone else uh, in the top top eight, that's incredible. Besides Cub- Clemson, I think Clemson has one less player. Yeah, Cupboard is definitely not bare in Athens. That much we know. I, I thought this was interesting. Kentucky still has a chance to finish with a higher rated class than Florida State, which, talk about I- irony with the Georgia stuff. Th- that, that's ironic, too. If, if Mark Stoops turns down Florida State and then pulls off a higher rated recruiting class in Lexington than in Tallahassee, that would be... Um, just all sorts of backwards. That'd be awesome. Credit to him. Credit to him because that guy yeah. has worked his tail off. They're still in the market, I think, for at least one, potentially two more four-star kids to add to that class. Do we know how many people well. are left? There, I, I didn't get an exact number, and exact numbers at this point are kind of tough to figure out. They really are, man. I was looking through it, and I was trying. I was going to come up with some specific numbers, but then certain kids are are strong commits, and then there are other kids who are hard commits, hard soft commit. commits, yeah, soft commits, like flaccid commits. Like, what are we talking about here, guys? Like, <laughs> I remember being at the Under Armour All America game a couple years ago, and Dwayne Haskins had been committed to to Maryland for a long time. He's from the DMV area. And it was really big when Mike Loxley wasn't retained at Maryland. He got the interim job there, but ultimately they let him go and hired DJ Durkin. What a move that turned out to be. And Dwayne Haskins, you know, everybody's asking him, like, hey, you still committed to Maryland? He's like, yeah, I'm still committed, but I have an announcement to make. In, in a couple of weeks, and it's like, well, then you're not still committed. Like, I don't, I don't right. get why, why recruits continue to do that. But of course, he ends up going to Ohio State, and he was not committed to, to Maryland at all. I, I yeah, and I think as I'm like looking through it, I think there are four total players in the top 100, um, which again could change in like a matter of minutes. But right. uh, there are four total players in the top 100 that that are unsigned or uncommitted or, or whatever. But yeah, that that is like I always hated that whole thing. It's like if you if you're committed then you you got to be committed. Like like the whole James Franklin thing and 
Um, but it, the, and the one downside of all this stuff too is the stuff that happens so late. When you have guys like this Zach Evans thing, where you know this happens a lot, where at the last minute this big five star will come in and take somebody else's spot, or you have guys that you know when coaches realize they're going to miss out on somebody else, they start just like pillaging these other other classes for like a three star and and taking them like you know somebody. I'm not saying this in like a derogatory way, but guys that would be like a huge get for a school like Kentucky or a, you know a, a mid tier school you know, become like just an extra guy to add to the class at these other bigger schools. You know what I mean? Yeah, Ohio State is, is guilty of doing that a lot with a lot of the in-state kids. We talked about that with Lynn Bowden, how they tried to come in at yeah. the last moment. And he's like, no, Kentucky's been showing me more love. I'm sure a program like Ole Miss is grateful that Georgia just decided, ah, no, we're going to go in a different direction. We don't want John Rice Plumley. And then, yeah. you know, he ends up going to Ole Miss and is, you know, going to have a, a chance to do some big things with Lane Kiffin there. Can you imagine what John Rice Plumley would have done in James Coley's offense? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just just a match made in heaven of two people that hate throwing the football. You know how we often say, you know, it was best for, you know, it worked out best for, for both parties. I yeah. think that was a situation where it worked out for both parties just to be on separate terms. Just, mm-hmm. just separate terms. They would not have done well with each other, working with each other. That would have been a very bad relationship. Um, do you think this is how we're going to do it in 10 years? Do you think we're going to have this, this late signing period where you, you just mentioned the stat? Four of the top 100 are, are left in terms of uncommi- uncommitted players or players who haven't signed yet. I don't know if this is going to be the, the plan forever. I think this is still a little bit of a, of a thing that's in flux and whether or not they make it a, a full-on December thing, I don't know. But it just feels like they're going to try and mix up something because they, a lot of people are going to continue to voice frustration about the February signing period and what it brings now in this day and age when all these kids are, are committed earlier and it just sort of changes yeah. the dynamic of it. I just don't know if this is going to be how it's how it's gonna how it's gonna look ten years down the road. Yeah, I think like there were so many people that were really happy with the early signing period too, like coaches and like, you know, it makes it so much easier. You can focus on all these other things, you know, instead of because a lot of times, like, remember that story I told you about with, with Saban screaming at Muschamp after the national championship. He's like, We're behind and recruiting yeah. on this guy, this guy's like, We just won a national championship last night, dude. But I mean you know, I think as soon as that celebration kind of happened or started to happen from coaches, it was like, oh, good. Like, you know, this is something to make, like, their lives a little bit easier and organized. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's doing this early signing period. As soon as they did that, then they opened the transfer portal. And now it's like, Jesus, there's, there's just nothing. It's just, it's just nonstop. It doesn't stop ever. No. Ever. Football doesn't stop. That's the good thing. The yeah. XFL is going to be... Starting this upcoming weekend on Saturday, you can listen to our good friend Tom Hart on the call. ABC, ESPN, I think Fox has a piece of it as well. Um, a lot of different networks are, are getting in at the ground floor of the XFL. Question for you. The best team to root for besides Tom Hart and his inevitable 69 references. Um, Houston and St. Louis each have 13 former SEC players on it, which seems like a lot, a whole lot. Yeah. Um I went through looking at some of these some of these rosters, and we did a, a story on SDS about the former SEC players that are currently on XFL rosters. And I came up with a list of guys who I was like, "Wait, really? They're in the XFL?" Here's what that list looks like: um, Savion Smith, former Alabama quarterback, Ooh. cornerback; um, Vanderbilt linebacker Charles Wright, former Mississippi State quarterback Nick Fitzgerald; Ole Miss quarterback Jordan Tamu, um, who, by the way, has MVP odds. Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray, good friend, kind of, sort of. Uh, Auburn wide receiver Ryan Davis, 
Florida wide receiver Antonio Callaway, who is currently injured right now. Uh, he's playing for the Tampa team, also playing for that Tampa team. A couple of other former Gators, CC Jefferson and Martez Ivy. That's, That's impressive. amazing. I mean, Martez Ivy was five-star, can't-miss type guy, and for him to already be in the XFL for one year on the pack, on the, the Patriots practice squad. Well, he wasn't kinda, even drafted, though, right? Yeah, he was undrafted. Like, kind of yeah. blows my mind. Um, those na- A lot of those names, like Jordan Tamu especially, I thought he was going to be able to at least have hold a clipboard for like five years in the NFL. Kind of surprising to see him already out considering – how many yards that guy threw for and some of the I thought he had some of the you know some next level tools with the way that he was able to push the ball downfield but apparently not I don't know what who among that list kind of stands out to you um the Martez Ivy thing simply because he's a five-star yeah that that you know the Aaron Murray thing is always surprising to me because like that's still and I know it's not a huge deal but what was I can't even, the Atlanta Legends? What was the, what was even the league last year? This is crazy. Alliance of American Football. Yeah. Okay. So the AFL last year, the fact AAF. that he AAF. There you go. The fact that he wasn't even the starter for that team was still to this day like one of the most perplexing things I've watched in sports. And because it wasn't like Sims was lighting up the world ever. Um. And and you know and I, I just that really really shocked me. And, and I kind of thought after that happened he was probably going to hang him up because he, he does a great job. He does a great job doing his actual, like, broadcasting stuff with CBS. Yeah, CBS and I feel like yeah. his that thing's, like, starting to take off for him. Um, and he, he does a really, really, like, I think he's on the CBS, like, College Sports Network, not, like, the main one, obviously. Right. But he's been doing really well with that. So for him to go back to it was kind of surprising. I, I I think a guy like that is a guy I thought would be, you know, as a career backup in the NFL. You know what I mean? Not in a rude way. I thought I thought he was good enough and talented enough um, to do that. So I think the, him, he's still the one that shocks me the most. For sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought he was going to be around in the NFL for a little bit longer. The Antonio Callaway thing is just kind of, it's just sad at, at this point. Like somebody who has just been given so many opportunities yeah. and just can't seem to take advantage of it. And I thought he was um, still in the NFL, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, he was with the Cleveland Browns not too long ago, but then uh, he was suspended by the NFL. He had another drug-related uh, suspension, and I, I think he was facing a year-long suspension, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that. Um, but somebody, I'd say the other one, Sammy Coates. Yeah, Sammy Coates caught a ton of passes at Auburn. I mean, a ton of passes. Caught a ton against Bama. Yeah. <laughs> there, there it is. Um, somebody who was, I, he was on the Auburn All-Decade team that we came up with as well. And Ryan Davis. Ryan Davis, all-time receptions leader at Auburn. Yeah. Had, a, had a really good career not too long ago. But, you know, NFL, <laughs> NFL is a different cutthroat, beast. Cutthroat, man. Yeah, it is, it is cutthroat. And, and how many of these guys are going to be able to kind of get some exposure and maybe, you know, maybe get a chance at the NFL level? I, I don't know. A lot of people have been wondering okay, why don't they have this league from May to July instead? And I get some of the logic behind it. Yeah. But it's it's like we talked about with the Alliance of American Football. You can't have guys playing an entire, like, 11-game season, and then, you know, they're going to turn around and play a 16-game season in the NFL. Like, their right. bodies will not hold up, and you're, you'll essentially, you know, what are they really going to be good for? And I think they'd be coming in late to NFL training camp, and it would just be, you know, difficult in terms of getting on a roster. And I think the goal for the XFL currently is, besides just getting people to watch it, which is going to be difficult with college mm-hmm. basketball picking up steam, is trying to get these guys to the next level and showing people, hey, look, there is an avenue for you to get exposure and play even more big-time football. It's, it's you know... Whether or not it's going to be able to do that remains to be seen. But 
I hope for the sake of our entertainment value, it, it makes some better decisions than the Alliance of American Football from a financial standpoint. Yeah, that, that started off so great last year, man. It was, it was, the games were fun and, and all that kind of stuff. And then, it, you know, they like I thought it was cool the way they structured the salaries and how everyone's going to get paid the same. And, and it was kind of like a developmental league, and then they couldn't pay after, like, week one. Um, Tough luck. Yeah, there's, there's a, a bunch of guys, and I think uh, you brought up a good point when you talk about, you know, how their bodies wouldn't be able to handle that that many games if they, if they schedule it that way. And I think that's important for a lot of reasons, but it's mainly important because these guys wouldn't, they would still put their bodies through that. They probably I mean, like would. The, the dream fair. of trying to get to the NFL, like they would a thousand percent still do that. And so I think it's it's good. And I tell you what, we, you said it was going to be difficult or it's going to be hard to get viewers. They're not going to match the NFL. They're not going to match college football, any of those viewer, like, you know, any of those ratings. But I will say, just like the AAF did last year, starting it the week after the Super Bowl is brilliant. And, you know, because it's usually this is the time it's like, well, football's over for however long. At least we have something, honestly, to bridge the gap until March Madness. This is true. This is true. The problem is, is that their season is supposed to be getting more interesting when March Madness also picks up at the same time. They're doing it a little bit differently, though, and I hope that, like with the AAF, there are some things that the NFL can look at and say, oh, we should probably take this into our game. They are going to have different rules on kickoffs in terms of the gunners can't go until the ball is caught on kickoffs. That's 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 just what I saw from, from reading these rules, and we'll see how that plays out. But very different sort of dynamic than what they were doing 20 years ago. And they're like, no fair catches. And that was the big thing that yeah. they promoted in the commercials. There's also gunners on the punt team cannot pass the line of scrimmage until the ball is punted. So you know how guys will sometimes like wait three seconds and run to the yeah. side a little bit and then punt it? It, it? There's apparently just less of a running start for, for these gunners, and that's going to change things. So can you try to block the punts? No, you can no, you, you block the punt. I'm saying the gunners who are going to... Yeah, I know. So what do they, they do? They're just standing still while everyone else is moving? I, I mean, I guess, yeah. Once you hike so the ball weird. and you have to stay behind the line of scrimmage, yeah, that's a that's a weird... Weird dynamic. I, I don't know how that's going to play out, but... Um, also, if you have gunners that have to stand still until the ball is punted... You could technically just take a defender off. Well, you could take a defender because they could fake it. Never mind. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a three-tiered point system after touchdowns, which one – I actually don't hate this. I don't hate this because okay. it, it makes it so that games are – an 18-point game is still a two-possession game. And I kind of like that because you you keep interest a little bit more so that way and there's a little bit more variance to it. One point for a score from the two-yard line, two points for a score from the five-yard line, and three points for a score – from the 10-yard line, those are all after touchdowns, of course. That's something that they adopted from the Alliance of American Football in terms of not having kicking extra points. Yeah, I don't like that at all. I, like, I, I get you have to be, like, different, and it's not going to be the same product as the NFL. But at some point, like, the, the best way, I think, to have people tune in is to not make it, like, MTV rock and jock of just, like, all right, this is a 15-pointer. Like, that's stupid. <laughs> Let's just make it make it somewhat real football. I don't, I don't get that. Okay, here's what I do like, though. I like this overtime thing. Overtime is five rounds. So think of it more of like a soccer shootout than okay. a typical overtime. So it's five rounds. So so each team gets the ball on the five-yard line. So let's say we were playing in a game. I would get the ball yeah. from the five-yard line, one play to score. If I score, that's one point for me. You go. There's five rounds. So whoever has the most points, you alternate. You keep alternating. And there's five rounds of that. Whoever has the most points out of that, just like in a soccer shootout, after five rounds wins. 
So you have to, like you're you're trying to score on each position. It's it's not like a first and goal and you have five total plays. Correct. Just one play from the five, and then you just you change you change possessions. Uh, You alternate pretty much every play. Definitely. Hopefully they're going to set it up in in the same way they do like the actual shootouts, where it's like well actually they wouldn't be able to do it the same way as like soccer shootouts because they wouldn't do it on one goal. But hopefully they'll have like like one offense you know versus one defense like on one end of the field, and then the opposite on the other end of the field. Because if they have to change. Every single time coming on off the field, I'm going to lose it. Yeah, that would be that would be a little bit tough to, to sit there and watch. But I don't hate that. And compared to the NFL overtime rules, which in my opinion are a bit outdated, yeah, I, yeah, I would I would be all for something like that. Um, so yes, the XFL Saturday um, kicking off. Tune in if you if you are just really really missing football already. Which if you're listening to this on Tuesday, it's been two days since you've had football, so I assume you're missing football. Um, but definitely going to be fun. I can't wait to see our buddy Tom Hart on the call for that. Another one of our friends, Matt Miller, got to catch up with him, talk about a lot of different SEC storylines in the NFL draft, talked a little bit about Tua, talked about some Jake Fromm stuff, Justin Jefferson, got into a lot of different storylines about SEC players going into the NFL draft. He is so good at what he does. He's got a mock draft on Bleacher Report that came out Today, he got to write it in beautiful Miami while he was there for the Super Bowl. So let's kick it to our interview with Matt Miller. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our favorite draft expert, as you can probably hear by those horns in the background. Um, Matt Miller from Bleacher Report is currently in Miami. He is in the midst of all the Super Bowl hoopla. Uh, you took your talents to South Beach this week, but it Looks like a business trip for you as well. I know you've got a lot going on. You've got a mock draft that's coming out um, that'll be out actually by the time that people listen to this. Um, I, you tweeted this photo from your beachfront balcony, and it made me kind of think of all the mock drafts that have ever been done by like dudes in their mom's basement, you probably have the best surroundings in the history of mock draft creations. Is that fair? That is fair. You know, I was in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl, and there was a scheduling um, misunderstanding and it, it turned out I had two free days with nothing to do and so it didn't make sense to fly home to Missouri to just like turn right around and fly back to Miami so rented a car drove to Daytona Beach stayed for two days ran on the beach uh, enjoyed some rum worked on the mock draft and, and then headed to South Beach so you're right and you know I was one of those guys making mock drafts in my mom's basement uh, and I was also that guy getting in trouble in high school for making them and, and printing them out on the, the library printer so I've written a lot of mock drafts in a lot of weird places. I'm going to say that balcony was was probably my favorite one. <laughs> so, like I said, this is coming out after the Super Bowl. But who's the guy who's playing in the Super Bowl who you were most wrong about? Oh, Patrick Mahomes for sure. And and I say that confidently. I was so off on on Pat. And it's it's funny now. You know, he and I have a a, a playful relationship because I've owned that I was really wrong about him, but. You know, my thing with Pat, and I think a, a lot of people, um, in hindsight, we can look back and say, he's the greatest quarterback in the NFL. He's on a, a two-year trajectory unlike anything we've ever seen. We can all be like, no, I loved it. I did not. I had a mid-round two grade on Pat, and my thinking wow. was, if he goes somewhere where he can't play, or if he goes somewhere and they make him play right away, it's going to be bad because he just he was not ready. You could see the talent, the arm talent, the no-look passes. We saw all that at Texas Tech. The thing was, and he'll admit this, he wasn't ready. You know, he couldn't call play in the huddle. He couldn't read a defense at the line of scrimmage at the level that you need to to play professional quarterback. And so I think what Pat is a, a testament to, and what I had to learn from this, uh, because I, I feel like every miss is an opportunity to learn. 
what I had to learn is sometimes we can look at a guy pre-draft and say, here's what he can't do. Instead of, and the way I was taught to scout is, you look at a player and say, what can he do? And if we get him in the right system and in the right situation, what could he blossom into? And with Pat, you always knew, like, I mean, world-class arm strength, great kid, really good competitor, really good all-around athlete. But it was just this thought stuck in my head that, man, if he goes to Cleveland and they make him play as a rookie, he's going to drown. Or if he goes, you know, somewhere where there's not an Alex Smith and an Andy Reid, and that's to take nothing away from Mahomes, who is a fantastic player, but he will even be the first person to tell you he landed in a really good situation for him to develop into what he's become. So you were at the Senior Bowl, which I know is really key for you to be able to see some of these guys in person, just sort of changes things. Who from the SEC really changed your impression of them? Yeah, man, the SEC is one of those things where you feel like you watch those guys a ton, but then when you get a chance to see them in person, it does change some things. I think the, the biggest for me was being able to see the offensive linemen from LSU, Cushenberry and Damian Lewis, in more one-on-one settings because it's easy to look at that offensive line when you have Joe Burrow, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire and say, it's a really good offensive line because they're doing it as a collective. They won the Joe Moore Award. It's harder to pull those guys out as individual pieces and say, okay, what are you Not, you know, the totality of your offensive line because Christian Berry at center, you know, are you as good as you look or are you protected by the guards who are beside you? Are you protected by the play call? So the fact that they were both able to go down and stand out, I thought Lewis, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but he's just a mauler. He plays so tough. And then Cushenberry to show that he does have, you know, the athleticism to, to get to the second level and succeed. So the SEC is always loaded. I mean, you could talk about Alabama guys. Terrell Lewis had a really good week. But with him, like, he has to answer questions about medical, and you can't do that in both. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, when you look at the knee, okay, what, how long is that thing going to hold up? What's the, the status of the knee long term? We're not going to go through that until the combine. So, I mean, there's a lot of SEC guys. I don't want people to be upset that I didn't list their favorite player. But the ones who really stood out for me were those, those LSU linemen. So, Matt, kind of speaking to that, what what SEC player has the most to gain or lose uh, at the NFL Combine? You know, I, I really do think that we can talk about, like, Alabama as a whole because I think with Jerry Judy, you know, we've seen this year a little bit of a – not through any fault of its own, but a little bit of a slip. CeeDee Lamb had such a great year. I think it's going to put a little more pressure on Jerry Judy to remind people why for two years we've been talking about him as the best receiver prospect in the class, you know, in comparison to – Odell Beckham Jr. was the one I gave him before the season started. So I think there's going to be some pressure on Judy where nine months ago it seemed like he had it wrapped up to be the number one receiver. Now you start to hear talk that maybe he might be the number two receiver drafted, maybe even the number three receiver drafted. So I think then Henry Ruggs, you know, the pressure of running a 4-2, maybe breaking the record, puts a lot on a guy's back. And there's other events, right, other than the 40 that he has to worry about and excel at. So – I think they both are going to walk in with a lot of pressure. Justin Jefferson, you can look at him and say, man, this is a damn good route runner. He's super clean as a player, but how fast is he? There's going to be pressure on him to exceed. So with, with everybody other than Joe Burrow, you know, there's going to be pressure on them to do things at a high level. You know, even Derek Brown, who, who looks like a close to flawless defensive tackle prospect, there's going to be pressure on him now that Javon Kinlaw, who had an amazing senior bowl week. You know, you, you've got that guy behind you who's starting to bump up and pressure you a little bit. So take us through this Tua thing because it felt like it was a great unknown a couple months ago when he goes through the surgery and we're talking about this atypical injury, but now it feels like he'd have to suffer another sort of major setback just to fall past the Dolphins at five. What's your read on this whole situation that's been unfolding the last couple months here? 
it's tough because uh, you try to be optimistic about a guy, but then at the same time, you also have to be realistic about him and his health and because we, we haven't seen an injury like this before. And you have to factor in the two ankles before the hip, right? So it's not just a hip injury. I think too often we get caught up on that. So with Tua, I mean, the, the combine's huge for him, and it's not about anything he does on the field. It's all going to be about how that hip looks. And something I wrote in my mock draft that you guys referenced is that 32 teams have 32 doctors. And I've run into this before where – you talk to one team, they fail a player. It's like, he'll never play in the NFL. You talk to another team, and they're like, yeah, we're not worried about it because we feel like it's going to you know, rehab and heal and we can strengthen it. We, we're on it. We're good with it. And so I think with Tua, it's going to be tough because there's definitely going to be reports over the next three months that, you know, X team has failed Tua, you know, or five teams have failed Tua. It only takes one. You know, we, we saw that with Jalen Smith when he was coming out of Notre Dame. It only takes one team to believe in you, and you can still be a high pick. So I agree with you. It feels like impossible right now that Tua wouldn't, be a top five pick but that that medical one month from now and then the combine recheck that happens in early april i think is going to be just as crucial and and like it's tough because you want to be so optimistic and like yes like he's beating the odds he's going to play again this great quarterback and this awesome kid and you want to see him succeed but then there's the part of you as a journalist that is really skeptical you know because it just it, it almost seems like the news is too good for for how quickly it has come out Again, I hope that, you know, he went and saw the doctor in New York and they said, yeah, man, everything's good. You're healing nicely. You're ready to go. He declares for the draft and, and it's all lining up right for him. But I think in, until there's – I'm not trying to like slander anyone here, but until there's news that's not coming from Tua or his agent, I think you have to be a little skeptical. Yeah. So speaking to that, you know, it, it does seem like it's, you know, pretty set in stone. I know we're a ways away from the actual draft, but it, it seems pretty set in stone that Burrow, Tua, and Justin Herbert will go in the top seven, most likely, with Cincy, Miami, and San Diego all looking to take quarterbacks. Where does a guy like Jake Fromm go, and what's the latest with him? Jake is an interesting study, guys, because I think you can look at his freshman year, and I, I know there's a tweet of mine floating around where it looks like he was going to be the top quarterback in the country when he was a freshman. The problem is he never developed, and I think you can put some of that on him. You can put some of it on Kirby Smart some of it on the talent that they've lost over the last three years, and it's, it's a lot. But I think with Jake Fromm, it's going to take a team believing in a really smart quarterback who might not be the biggest or have the strongest arm, but he's going to make clean decisions. He's ready to step in and play right away. He's been running a ton of pro-style stuff at Georgia. But the, the biggest question for me, you never want to see a guy get worse in college. And I think with Jake Fromm, it, his impact definitely lessened. You know, I was at the SEC championship game, and it's just you're looking at Joe Burrow and Jake Fromm on the same field, and they don't look like they're playing the same position, you know, at the same level. And they're both, you know, upperclassmen in college. So I think with Fromm, he could still be a late first-round pick. He, I, I think I have him slotted as a mid-second-round pick. But I think the with quarterbacks, I remember hearing that quarterback evaluation starts in January. And so I think with Fromm, you know, not being able to go to the senior bowl as an underclassman, his combine and pro day really have to be perfect, and, and not just on the field, but the interviews. Being able to explain to teams why he took a step back, why Georgia took a step back over the last couple of years. And and I've even heard rumors, guys, that, that Fromm kind of needed to leave. That that quarterback job was going to be open with Jamie Newman coming in and that there might be some competition. Wow. So that that's a rumor floating around in on the scouting side, not on the college football side, but that is something that I've had scouts tell me is that that job might not have been so sealed up as his if he did go back. Interesting. I just thought he wanted to fish more. Um <laughs> So there were like 36 or 37 underclassmen from the SEC who declared early for this year's draft. Which decision surprised you the most for a player to either declare and or stay? No, I think it's the guys who stayed. You know, I mean, going from Najee 
to Alex Leatherwood, to Kylan Hill. We saw a lot of SEC kids stay. And it's funny because, like, where I come from, that's encouraging, you know, that we're not having, a, you know, 120 juniors declare every year. It's like, okay, well, these guys realize that they can better their stock by going back to school or maybe they just want to get their degree or maybe they like college or, they, you know, they're not ready to have a job in the NFL. I, I think we should applaud those kids instead of, you know, hopping on Twitter and telling them they're stupid for, for losing money. So I, I think Amen. those were the ones that, you know, it was kind of a surprise that Alex Leatherwood, who was getting round one talk early in the year, goes back to school. Well, maybe he wants to win a national championship. Maybe Alabama's pissed off that they didn't make the playoff. And so they want to, you know what? We're going to go back next year and we're going to wreck people. And for Najee to do the same thing, you know, I think, I think we should applaud those guys instead of, you know, oh, you only have so many years to make money as a running back. Money might not be the most important thing to Najee Harris. You know, you guys know. You go over the SEC, you win a, a Heisman or a Natty at Alabama, you're you're a god, you know, and that might matter a lot more to him. So I, I applaud those guys. You know, I, I live in Big 12 country and we saw it. You know, Chuba Hubbard goes back to school. Tylen Wallace goes back to school. So I don't think there were any surprise declarations. Really, the, the thing was just waiting to see what the Alabama kids would do. And, and the LSU exodus, let me back up. Oh, my God, the LSU yeah. exodus was a shock because I remember talking to, to coaches there like mid-December, and, and one of their guys sent me a list, and he's like, what do you think of these underclassmen? There's like 12 players on it. It's like, I have not watched half these guys. And he was like, you need to. They're all leaving. And I was like, you're no way. There's no way. No way Sadiq Charles is declaring for the NFL draft. And he's like, no, man. Like, they're all leaving. And, and you know, thank God for you know, good connections to give you heads up. But you know a team, okay, you win a national championship with a senior quarterback. There's going to be a lot of turnover. I don't think anyone could have told you there was going to be that much. You know, for them to even get uh, Jacoby Stevens to come back felt like a huge win, and you're getting your third safety to come back. So, uh, thank God they have Jamal Charles and, and Derek Stingley coming back next year because, I mean, they, they lost everyone. Yeah, along those lines, Justin Jefferson, a guy that declared early who, coming out of high school, nobody in their right mind thought that, that would be a guy who'd be three years and done. He intrigues me a lot because he had this monster year in this historic LSU offense, but I think what actually helps him even more is the fact that he was really good in 2018, too, before they had this offensive explosion. His ball skills are tremendous, but he's not necessarily the physical freak of guys like Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb. Where do you have Jefferson pegged at and why? Yeah, I have him late first round, and I think the why on him is really easy. Uh, back to what I said earlier, what do you do well? And I think with Jefferson, his route running is what he does well, and when you have guys who are, are just great route runners, who you know, as long as you have don't have drop issues, you're a good route runner. That's going to carry over. So I can look at a guy like Justin Jefferson and say, okay, you could be Keenan Allen, you could be Devontae Adams, you could be guys who weren't exceptionally fast or exceptionally big, but were good route runners with good hands. And, and I think now, like you said, a historic LSU offense. We saw that production for him over the really last year and a half, and now this year you see him doing things in pro style offenses, running routes that the New Orleans Saints run. And so, like, that's actually the dream fit for Justin Jefferson. You know, if you can go to New Orleans, keep running the same offense you just had a ton of success in, and you're doing an opposite Michael Thomas, which this year he's doing an opposite Jamar Chase. So I think that's a really good landing spot for him. You know, we're going to hear people talk about Green Bay, Kansas City, a lot of those late first-round teams that, that need a wide receiver. But I, I think Jefferson, man, what a great year he had. And, and it, I was a little bit of a doubter. I was kind of late to come around on him. Like, I just kept going back to, like, man, he's not very fast. He's not big. What does he do well? And then it just clicks for you. And it, for me, it was I was watching him in person, and it clicked. And it was like, he's just a great route runner. And that is a trait to me, and it's a really important one. 
So you kind of touched on this earlier. Um, I'm not sure if you got a peek at the at the Google Doc here or the notes, but um, <laughs> you've, you've been on point. So there's there's some pretty high-profile underclassmen running backs that made a decision to come back another year, which you don't see a lot. Um, you know, we're talking about ETN, Hubbard, uh, Najee Harris, and Kylan Hill even from Mississippi State. What, what was the reason behind that, do you think? And, and who's the first running back of that group taken next year? You know, I actually, um, something I was very upfront about early in my career, and I'm, I'm very happy to talk about it now, is a lot of times these players will reach out to me because they know that I'm, I'm doing a lot of the work early in the year evaluating them, and they'll say, and two of those players actually did either directly or through a family member reach out and say, where, uh, excuse me, three of those players. So reached out and said, where, where do you have our guy? You know, yeah, right? That's a, a sick humble brag. But um, <laughs> and, and so it was just the, the honest part of it is this is a really good running back class. And so even Travis Etienne or Najee Harris, guys, that you would think like, yeah, it's a first-round running back. It's easy to say that. It's harder to go through the list of teams that need a running back and the teams that are willing to draft a running back and say, okay, Najee slots in here with DeAndre Swift, with J.K. Dobbins. So I think that was the, the reality for Travis Etienne, for Najee especially, was that they weren't guaranteed to be a first-round pick. They weren't guaranteed to be a second-round pick. And so when you you have that, and then you have Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney saying the same thing of, we can't guarantee you're going to be a first- or second-round pick, come back to school you know, with, with ETN, you're going to feature more in the passing game. You know, in Najee, you got a chance to win a Heisman Trophy. And next year's running back class, until those four players decided to go back to school, next year's running back class looks pretty weak, at least in terms of draft prospects. And with Kylan, a guy who declared and then changed his mind, which is something we almost never see. So, uh, again, I think yeah. you applaud those guys for, for wanting to go back and, and finish something they started. But uh, the, ne- the top one for next year, I think it's between Najee and ETN. With Hubbard, you know, we've seen – Two years, this past year being historic year with 2,000 yards, but I think Najee is what the NFL wants right now because he's a big back with power, but he can catch. And we saw that, you know, late in the year especially. Uh, he's just so dynamic and fundamental. ETN's blazing fast, you know, one-cut runner. He's going to be a good scheme fit for inside zone teams where you just want a guy to get downhill. I think Najee brings more of a total package. I'm excited to see what Chuba does. You know, that, that Cowboys offense next year could be – be pretty special with what they have coming back but i think with him right now the biggest questions are overall athleticism you know speed agility looseness in your hips things like that have to be evaluated all right matt we've got one more before we get you out on two minute drill here um i gotta bring this up you're a texas guy this time last year everybody's talking about how back texas was and (laughs) now texas is coming off seven regular season wins tom herman is flipping off live tv cameras and bevo actually isn't charging at beloved bulldogs but um be honest did your confidence in this current regime take a significant hit after the way that this season unfolded it did and i I think especially it was weird because losing barely losing to lsu it was like okay like well we're barely losing to lsu it's actually kind of close and then just to see the way it unravels, you know, barely, when you barely beat Kansas on a last-second field goal, that's not a good place to be oh. in as a college football program. So I think, you know, I have confidence in this in this staff. I'm really excited about the, the changes they made. And I think, you know, you talk to people at Texas and they point out that they weren't healthy. You know, it's like, and I know that that's been the rallying cry at Texas since Mac Brown left. But if they could, oh, if they could ever get healthy, I, I think that is a big key. But you know, Sam has to, Ellinger has to step up a little bit more as a passer. You know, you lose Devin Duvernay, who led college football in receptions. You lose Colin Johnson, who was such a safety valve anytime he was on the field. Um, you know, the defense is largely coming back. But I think on the offense, you know, this true freshman they have coming in that everybody thinks is the next Adrian Peterson has to actually live up to the hype because, you know, we've all heard that at, at Texas before. I can remember when Jonathan Gray was supposed to be the next Cedric Benson. So 
it's you know time for these five-star recruits and four-star recruits to to develop and that's something that has not happened in texas really i think you can even go back to the max brown era texas hasn't developed guys well which is why we don't talk about a lot of them as draft prospects I mean, yeah that was pretty spot on there matt um we're gonna, we're gonna close out here with the game you've actually played before uh on, on this podcast it's called two minute drill it's just rapid fire questions uh we're gonna put a minute or two minutes tops on the clock uh you say the first thing that comes to mind and we will keep track of your points i think you scored i'm looking at it right here in my notes 68 points last time so we need to do better so than that. close so close to perfect yeah. so close are you ready Are you there? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I was trying to get away from like a ton of noise. Okay, I'm here. Oh, you're good. Um, okay, we will put two minutes on the clock, uh, and we will get started. The first question is uh, brought to you by one of your coworkers, Paige. She said um, to ask you that I'm getting married in April. What is your best marriage advice? Don't. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly what you said you'd say. All right, that's good. Good start. Hopefully uh, my fiance's not listening. Um, next question. If someone were to describe you with only uh, NFL combine cliches, what would yours be? Gritty, lunch pail, sneaky athletic? I think gritty. You know, I, I came into I know it's supposed to be one word, but it would be gritty. You know, I came into this. I was doing marketing. I didn't play college football. And my whole career, 10 years now, Bleacher Report has just been me working my ass off. So I think gritty is uh, I'm not deceptively athletic anymore. I'm getting old and soft. So I'm not even going to lie about that one. <laughs> That's good. I mean, yeah, mine's uh, sneaky, unathletic, which is not—it's not a compliment. It's not good. Um, okay, you're a Texas fan. Favorite Matthew McConaughey rom-com? How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Yeah, oh, you said it with so much confidence. It's good. Yeah. Fool's Gold is the correct answer. No, uh, but no, we'll move on. Oh, um, the movie was terrible. Favorite? I know you have. I know you have a young. Uh, you have a young son. Favorite Disney movie. Fun fact: I've not seen any of them. He doesn't watch them. I'm so lucky. Uh, Unless wow. Star Wars counts. He loves Star Wars, kind of under the umbrella now. I have not seen a Disney movie at all. Uh, I, it just doesn't happen. It's great. You've never seen Lion King? I haven't seen the new one. I mean, I saw the old one like when I was in elementary school okay. and they made us watch it in library. So I'll, I'll say Lion King then because there was at least some carnage in that. But I'll be honest, I have not watched <laughs> a Disney movie in like 15 years probably. It's, it's been a long time. Wow. Yeah, yeah, same. It wasn't like last night at all uh, on Disney Plus. But um, okay, moving on to the Super Bowl here. Favorite Super Bowl snack? Well, I haven't, I haven't been home for a Super Bowl in so long. It's, it's hard to remember because now it's like here's Ooh, the surprise. shitty press box sandwich they give you. Uh, yeah, another fucking humble bag. Uh, my favorite back when I used to be home. I mean, it has to be pizza. It's like you grab a slice, it's good. You go back 45 minutes later, it's still good. So like a good slice of pizza would be my go-to. I like that. Yeah, anybody bringing vegetables to the party, they just need to get out. Um, yeah, okay, go to Super Bowl booze. So, um, repping Kansas City all day, Boulevard Wheat uh, is my all-time favorite beer. So good. It's, uh, it's, and it's good in any climate. Like, I'm in Miami, and now I want one. But if I was at home and it was cold, it's always good. So, I don't feel like it's seasonal. Okay, I actually served that at Houston's when I used to work there, Connor. Fun fact. Okay, we got a couple more here. Kill, Mary screw. Uh, Jimmy G, George Kittle, or Matthew McConaughey? Oh, wow. I'm marrying McConaughey. That dude's loaded. Um, and I'm younger than him, so he would probably die first. Um, I, would to, I, I would have to kill Kittle. 
and I love George. I'd have to kill him. Uh, but Jimmy G, Jimmy G is just a good looking dude. So I, I would say screw Jimmy G. I probably put way too much thought into that, but that's where it is. I know. I love. I love the conviction you said it with. It's fantastic. Um, okay, favorite road trip song or album? Uh, Michael Jackson, Thriller. Hey, Amen. Love going dangerous. That's still good. And if I could pick a second one, uh, this is all seriousness. If you just pull up Miley Cyrus on Spotify, that that hits. And so, like, we do a lot of road trips throughout college football season, and I'm not afraid to jam to some Miley. I don't even know who you are right now, Matt. Um, I, What's wrong we, with that? <laughs> that's What's wrong with that? That's um, fine. You ought to check out Hannah Montana if you like that. Okay, last three. Describe Joe Burrow in one word. Poised. Okay. Um, best SEC prospect for next year's draft. Oh, wow. I'm on the spot there. Shoot. Um... Jamar Chase. Ooh, okay. And last question. What happens first? Tom Brady retires or Texas is actually back? <laughs> Tom Brady retires. I am not holding out any hope. I, I tell people, Texas is back to being like the second or third best team in the Big 12, which is historically where we've been. So technically we're back. I, let me add this up real quick. There's, you had some, some really good answers here. I don't want to only give you 69 points. But we're going to give you 69 points. That's that's a new high score. Nice. I feel like that was a top five round we've ever had. Very nice. Wow, that was good. That was an improvement. I'm, Improvements I'm all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this on my Twitter bio. Um, I don't I don't even know what's on there right now, but this is probably the biggest honor I've ever received. So thank you, guys. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm glad you said it. I mean, I didn't want to have to say it myself. So that's right. <laughs> Awesome. Matt, we appreciate you coming on. I know you're a very busy man. Um, enjoy all, all, all the traveling that you got. Um, we'll, we'll, everybody will check out your mock draft on Bleacher Report Monday. Um, we'll have to do this again before the NFL draft. Take it easy, man. Let's do it, guys. Thanks so much. Marler, Super Bowl Sunday. You know what we did? Had, Gambled. We had some pretzel bites. My, my wife makes these homemade pretzel bites that are so, so good. And we have this this cheese dipping sauce that she makes. This homemade cheese dipping sauce. And you know what goes in there? A little Texas Pete. Ooh, I like that. Really? I think good. we did a, a recipe for that. I, I was very excited. Super Bowl Sunday is a lot of fun, like I said, uh, for a lot of reasons. The gambling especially. However, probably the best part about Super Bowl Sunday is it's like the one time of year, I feel like, where buffalo chicken dip is like a, a, an entree. And that is like I did a power rankings of my favorite Super Bowl snacks, and that was a clear cut number one. And I tell you what, there was a lot of opinions, a lot of other uh, other things that made the list. Talk about the Chick Fil A nugget tray, a lot of different stuff. But I think the one one resounding theme, um, even though we didn't all agree on the rankings, was everything on that list would go with Texas Pete. Absolutely, right? yeah, it was incredible. Um, so yeah, if you had a good Super Bowl Sunday, uh, I hope you did, and I hope you guys had plenty of uh, Super Bowl snacks, and Texas Pete was in abundance as well. And just because football season's over doesn't mean the tailgating season's over. You just Got the XFL, tail- man. Yeah, exactly. But you can also tailgate to anything, guys. You can tailgate at home. Talk about home gating. Uh, where else, Connor? I don't know. If, at court, at the DMV. You can do it anywhere, and you can take Texas Pete with you always. Okay. Uh, so make sure you go to texaspeak.com, look up some of their best recipes, uh, a lot of fun stuff. We did, like I said, the commercials we had and a lot of the other uh, recipes we did back in the fall. Check those out and then upload your own uh, on social media using the hashtag sauce like you mean it as well. A cheese dip was really good. We have leftovers. I cannot wait. I'm, I'm really, really pumped. Nice. Annual tradition. That sounds good. Um, we have fourth and wrong. We didn't have fourth and wrong last week. 
So I said we we're going to do a little bit of extra fourth and wrong because we didn't extend it. It might mean too much last week. So we've got five fourth and wrong questions. And I have not looked at any of these. So let's let's have some fun with this. Yeah, I got you. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll just be honest, guys. Next week, we got to bring a little more heat with these questions. There were some good ones. Mm. but um, And also, just so everyone knows, and, and we love you guys and appreciate you guys submitting the questions each and every week, for real. Um, but we got to start doing some that are making a list of the ones we've already answered, like barbecue stuff. Oh, yeah, we do. We do. We really do. We, <laughs> uh-huh. we repeat a few of these. Yeah. I feel like we get the barbecue question every week, like, what's your favorite barbecue? Um yeah, and a bunch of other different ones too. But anyway, we'll get started. The first one we have is from Marshall Perkins. Which non-SEC team has the coolest uniforms and colors? There's one answer to this. It's the Pitt script uniforms. They are what? the best. The Pitt throwback uniforms are Ugh. so good. I, I love those. those. Oh, you ha- how that do you yellow and those? blue? It's oh my gosh, those are so on the money. The little script like that, it's just it's not too much. If they wore those every single game, they'd be an eleven win team. I those are I don't like those at all. I love throwbacks at a lot of those stuff, but that one is for whatever reason, I, I just don't I don't get it. I don't I don't like it like the, that col- that color combination of that blue with that yellow, I don't I don't like it mm. as much. Um, Michigan, I think, is like the obvious choice. I love, I love Penn State's. It's like super classic. I was, was going to um, name those two as well in terms of like the classic uniform that that you like. That's just, yeah. it's, it could be there fifty years from now, and we'll probably think the same thing about them. Right. I think the, um, I loved when, uh, like, when Florida does those all whites with the white helmet and the, the F. Oh yeah, yeah. I love those. Like they did it in like two thousand nine for like the SC championship game. Those are pretty cool. I really love the Georgia uh, blackout jerseys. They just don't bring them out anymore. But I think the clear the clear answer for me, and hopefully she's not listening, I'll say two. UCLA is one. I love that combination of colors, like that that blue and then the gold. Um, but Oregon, man, Oregon, Oregon, when they do like those the like the mirror helmets or the silver like the silver helmets, the chrome. There are some that they do that are awful, like flat out awful. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, they're pretty they're pretty spot on. I like actually, and this is this says nothing about the team itself, but when Miami wears those those orange ones, I, yeah, I, I'm I'm a fan of those. I'm not even a big orange guy, and it, it can't be the all orange uniforms, but when they throw on the orange unis with the with the white helmets, I'm yep. yeah, a little bit of nostalgia kicks in. I'm I'm thinking to myself, all right, this Miami team could beat anyone, and they lose by 14 to Louisiana Tech. Yeah, that's one that's they should never. I get because it's like the U, and they would make the most sense to to do like all these like off the wall things for like attention grabbing and their fans. But having like black jerseys for Miami is just mm. that's like a crime. You know, I'll tell you another good one is uh, is UNC when they just do the Carolina blue, strictly Carolina blue, not like when they bring in navy into it at all. What about when they do the the argyle on the siders? That's just basketball that they do that. You talking about with, like the foot? They have like that argyle pattern that they do on the side of their jerseys. Their oh, basketball oh, jerseys. oh! I think about the helmet, and they have like sometimes they'll have like the actual like tar heel, like the the, the physical like the, heel. Yeah, yeah. I'm like that's I don't like that. Um, no, I like that. That's pretty good. I think because uh, they also they're they're with Jordan. Those are really good. I think that is only for basketball, but they're still really good. I think they have them for football too. I think they have them for football. Do they? Yeah, I'm pretty sure because everybody there's a lot of Jordan schools now for football. Our high school, the high school I went to, is now sponsored by Jordan, which is, is really? absolute. Be- yeah. I'm, I think I brought up last week. I'm still angry about it. Anyway, second question from Andy Goins. This is a really good one. Um, at what moment were you the cheapest you've ever been? You know, when you're a young pup sports reporter out in central Nebraska, just doing whatever you can with student loans, out-of-state student loans on your plate, and you're getting paid that very, very measly salary as a local sports reporter, 
I can say that I was probably the cheapest I've been where pretty much my furniture, if I had a furniture need that wasn't like a couch, it was yeah. Walmart, 100%. If mm. I'm going grocery shopping, it's Walmart. It's finding whatever I can. If I can spend like 40 bucks, 30 bucks on groceries for a week, I'm doing it. Um, you pretty much, I drove my 97 Corolla around everywhere. I pretty much did anything I possibly could to, to try and, and save money during that time of my life when I'm, I'm 22 years old. I have, you know, yeah. tens of thousands of dollars of student loan debt. I'm Ugh. not getting paid very much to pay it off. That's that's easily the time of my life when I was cheap. Because when you're in college, you still feel like you can sort of ask your parents sometimes. Like if I if I needed grocery money, I, I could go ask my parents in a heartbeat. If I'm a grown man with a job, I'm not asking my parents for money. I'm just not. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh... 2013, look, the year I always bring up that was so bad. I that was my like, year too. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. I remember going to, I was also spending, I was like reckless with a lot of my money, but like when it was like time for rent, like that week of, and it was like, all right, I'm eating eggs and that's it for or like PB and J's for like the next week. Um, I remember like going to like Netflix or what do you call it? To Coinstar. So I could like pay like a, like a pretty small bill. Like I need to go like like exchange like actual change for money. Oh, I remember um, that back in the day, high school. God. Used to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that year was bad. I, I, remember, I brought this up yesterday. Actually, it still like haunts me. And I feel bad about it. But that trip I took, I was like, I went on a cruise for spring break. Oh, and you didn't tip the bartenders. I didn't tip the guy. No, I didn't tip like the the guy that was like you know whoever cleaned our room like the entire week. I just mm. I, I it's still to this day because I thought it was included beforehand. And then the day of, I was like, I don't, I don't even have any actual money to give because I'd spent it all on the stupid trip. So that was pretty bad. And I think the, like, this isn't me just like from growing up. I, I tell this story a lot just because um, it makes me like proud and happy for my mom. But like, I remember, like, we grew up like really poor. So I remember eating like, like dinner would be like, like potatoes, like in a can sometimes. And that wasn't great. And then, uh, and then like corned beef and hash. And, and it, it, she would make that with like eggs over easy. Mm. And she made it like three times a week. And and bless her heart. Because I always thought it was like she's just making it because it's my favorite meal. No, it's just all we could afford. It was just we were – that was that was a tough time. Corned beef so. and hash is, is good though. You get that yeah. you get that at a diner. That's a really good go-to diner food. Where You're, you're not going to go wrong ordering corned beef and hash at all. No. Um, third question. Let's see here. What is the one thing you haven't done yet that you've always wanted to do? Zach Permenter. I feel like we should exclude sports from this. If we go sports, it's too easy. We've done sports bucket lists on this a lot. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of mine are, are travel based. We're going to, like I said, I think I said this last week. We're going to California, dry, doing the coastal drive. Yeah. Um, we're doing that in May, so I'm really looking forward to that. I've never been to Hawaii. Really want to do that. Yeah, I'm um, talking about that too. A couple other places that I'd like to be able to go to that would be fun. Um, owning a house is up there as well. Still yeah. hoping to do that um, this this year, maybe like six, seven months from now. That'd be that'd be a great thing to be able to do. It's a great segue from your second one about having to be cheap as possible because like, <laughs> that is a fun time. Let me Seriously. tell you, seriously, um, own a bulldog. That's uh, that's been the last two years for me. That 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 urge has really you can just do that. I can't though. It's not that easy. It's not. Why? You know that it's not. Because there are a lot of things that go into this. Like one, not having a house. Two, already yeah. having a pet. Three, having a wife that has to consider this. Four, worrying about having long-term of effects of owning a bulldog and because they go through so much sickness and they're a really <laughs> tough pet to own. They're, they have breathing problems, man. Like they're really expensive. So and, uh, they're, they're, they're a tough pet to own, but I really- They're all built like Danny DeVito, but, for, but, but as a dog. But more loving and not as annoying. Yeah, that's fair. 
Um, man, what else you got? Anything else on there? I'll probably come up with something. You go ahead. Okay. Uh, my this is I've always wanted to do this since I was a kid, and I still want to. I want to go. Um, I want to go run with the bulls. Oh, bulldogs and bulls! I see what you did there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I've always wanted to do that in Pomp- uh, Pamplona, uh, in Spain, and I think that'd be a lot of fun. And then, um, I'm trying to think of what else, man. Like pretty much, we've. I'm sure there's some other stuff that I haven't done in my life yet, but. Oh, I want to see churches in concert. That's one thing. That's like that's like the only concert I feel like it's like left on my on my bucket list of concerts. So I'd say that. Um, and yeah, I guess I guess travel. Like I, I want to go to Italy and, and Spain. I have no Italy's desire awesome. to go to some places. You know what I mean? Like there's like like me and Alex are talking about this. We're trying to plan our honeymoon, and I, I just have no desire to go to like Hong Kong. Or like Tokyo. Asia would be right. tough just because of the language barrier and that, that would yeah. be a little bit intimidating. Whereas going to Europe, you know, we went to three different countries for our honeymoon and in Italy, you know, uh, there's a decent amount of people that speak English there and there's a lot of tourism and stuff like that, but they just kind of want to see that you're trying. Greece, yeah. they'll be pretty forgiving about speaking English and then Ireland felt like an American city in a lot of different ways right. with more history. But that's that's the issue of traveling is figuring out, okay, where could I go and actually exist for a week and not feel like I'm yeah. totally stressed out of your mind? Because if you're traveling that far, you don't want to be stressed out of your mind. You want to be able to relax and enjoy yourself and just have enough communication skills to be able to get by. Right. Yeah, we're looking at Bali for the honeymoon and we're trying to figure all that out. And it was like, because I actually don't mind long flights. Like I, I love flying. I, I probably at my highest form of like efficiency and work work mode is when I'm on flights. You always have because, internet on your flights though. Well, I always, I always just buy it because yeah. I'm like, I, I have to, I, I just, I get so much done because there's like not anything else to do. So yeah, I mean like I, I would be excited about going like on the, like some of those long flights and you know, binge watching movies and stuff like that. But if I get there and it is like, like you said, a huge language barrier where it's like just kind of tough to even manage throughout the day. That's, that's, uh, that's not for me. That's too tough. Oh, also on my bucket list. Uh, have a child one day. That'd be good too. Probably there should include go. that. Uh, yeah, that'd be that'd be a good thing. That's like not one hundred percent sure that we're you know having kids necessarily, but you know as as we've you know we've talked about this before. It's one of those things that when you're kind of at this phase in life and you like, I, I mean you you're gonna notice this and this isn't your life's not gonna change after you get married. I don't have to explain this to you. It's not gonna yeah. change that much. But having this phase in life where you're like, okay, we are a couple, we have our health, we don't have kids to worry about yet, it's kind of nice, and you kind of want to hold on to yeah. that for a little bit while longer before you have to do, you know, other stuff like that. Yeah, I don't. We, we talk, did we talk about this on the pod yet? Because we I think we've we been did last a lot lately. Yeah, because I, I don't know if we we had we had some friends over like this weekend on uh, like this past weekend that came over with like their newborn, and I think she's like 11 weeks old. Which I hate. That's that's my least besides square foot math. That's my least favorite math. When you have to start doing the like the weeks, like our months, like oh yeah, she's forty eight months. No, she's four years old. Stop it. Yeah, yeah. I mean it, it makes no sense. But she, they came over and they were great. And and they were like this couple that we used to live like right around the corner from us at, at the apartment we lived in Midtown. And they were a blast. Like they they were they I think they met at like I want to say the Cheetah or like one of their first dates was at the Cheetah like together, which is a strip club in Atlanta, which is pretty oh. bizarre. But but they're basically they're just a lot of fun outgoing. That this was the first thing they had done, like socially, in eleven weeks of her being born, was to come over to our house for brunch. That's not daunting, even go out. You know? It is daunting, and, and so and, and she's like adorable, um, like you know, she was a really cute kid and all that kind of stuff. And it, we were sitting there talking. And Allie's holding her. And I was like, oh, this this is a good look. This is I, I could see this. And then like two seconds later, this baby made this noise that will haunt my dreams forever. 
and just complete blowout. Like in like she went she went number two everywhere, all Yikes. just everywhere. And I was like, you guys gotta go. Yeah, like, I don't, you scared can't. the crap out of her. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Probably so. Um, all right, third question. Favorite place to eat in? It says each college town you've been, but we'll just pick one Holy college cow. town. It's from James O'Quinn. I feel like we've answered this before. Um, I ate at uh, what did I have it? I had something really good at the Swamp uh, Bar in Gainesville. Um, yeah, bar right by there. I had like this fish sandwich that was really, really good, and it was on an incredibly hot day. I was there in August actually before the start of the season and did that, and it was awesome. And then I went to. We went to this tapas place in Gainesville, downtown Gainesville, that was incredible. And the name is escaping me right now. Those are the two most recent ones that I can remember. We don't eat, I don't eat in a lot of these towns that much because usually if we're there, we're there like at a tailgate or something. We're there that, just that day. We don't necessarily stay in these specific cities. So it's tough to like sit here and like go through all the different ones in the SEC because like when we were, you know, when we were in at LSU, we didn't, we ate, you know, we ate at Walk-Ons. Walk-Ons is really good, obviously, but yeah. we, you know, most of the meals that we ate were in New Orleans because that's where we stayed. So it's a little bit different. Oh, and that Chili's, our memorable Chili's. And the Chili's. <laughs> Can't forget the Chili's. So Chili's um, is my answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, when you first started talking, I was like, I don't know why Hazen just said Chili's. Oh, um, so I was like, I don't, yeah, I don't want to get through all of them. Like we got to do Oxford and we got to go out that one night and I, it just, there's, it's tough to when you go to these, like these college towns because there's so many cool restaurants especially nowadays i feel like there's they're getting more and more in each each little town um so you can't hit all of them up because it's like i mean how many meals are you going to be having and in game day you can't really have like a sit down meal necessarily somewhere i will say um like if i'm in bama like i'm going to whataburger for sure i don't care how that sounds um but but i think my favorites that first year when i was working with scs the first project we did where we like went to a different sec campus and then they just filmed me going to bars and restaurants friday friday night and then and had a camera crew follow the whole thing and then we would like we just go tailgate with people on saturday it was one it was like the coolest job i've ever had it was awesome um two they got to see some really cool places and eat a bunch of free food i think my favorites were athens like sauce house was a really cool place i mean it's 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 barbecue and i feel like you know it's good barbecue but they also just like the whole setup they have there like i think it's right on broad street um, in Athens, and then I think my favorite, honestly, like the two, like from back there, like Amici, which is we had one of those in Milledgeville. It's fantastic. If you haven't been to Amici, check it out. Get the honey hot wings, and then the place, just called the place, and it's like this like refined Southern cuisine. It's a good name. Incredible, dude. You would you would love it. Um, but yeah, I think the place, the place in Amici, probably my, my top two. Okay, Solid. so um, let's see here. Last but not least, what is one sport that not football? that an SEC head coach would excel at? Example, Coach O, Greco-Roman wrestling, um, Lane Kiffin basketball. That second example was a little bit weird. Um, that's why from Andrew would, D. Lane Kiffin be that, I don't know if Lane Kiffin would be that good at basketball. I, I couldn't see that, yeah. I think he's just giving an example, maybe. I don't know. That was not as good as the first example. Regardless. I could, picture, I could picture Mike Leach sitting at a dugout. Absolutely. <laughs> that guy was born to wear like a, a uniform, sit in a dugout. No, no, no. As, as a coach, I'm saying... That's a good point. I'm saying as a coach, he'd be really good sitting in the dugout with his, with his belly kind of hanging there. And you yeah. see him, you know, every once in a while, he'll have like some sort of expression on his face. You could see him getting on the phone, making the call to the bullpen, doing all those different yeah. things. And Leach, in the way that the game currently is in baseball, it's so analytics-driven. It's based on a spreadsheet so much of the time. 
Leach, I think, would get more into that than a typical than a typical coach in the SEC football coach in the SEC would. Yeah. I could just totally picture him dealing with and, and making a, a 162 game season so much more entertaining. And yeah. some of the stuff that that guy would come up with, he seems a little bit more of the Yogi Berra mindset. So that's that's just my saying fr- nonsensical things. Exactly, nonsensical yeah. things that you can't wait to hear, and you're just like, wait a minute, what what was that? What was that? That okay? You think about things just way differently than I ever could. I. So yeah, that's really that's spot on. That's a good one, and I could easily see Mike Leach hitting fungos. Oh yeah, big fungos. Just guy, being like for the world's sure. best fungo uh, hitter of all time. I would say Sam Pittman bowling. I have I have zero mm. doubt in my mind that Sam Pittman is is an excellent bowler. I mean, I don't think that's even a question. I, Jimbo Fisher. This isn't a sport, but I mean, it technically is. I think uh, poker. I feel like he would be really good. Poker's at, a game, at, not like, a sport. Poker. Bowling also a game, not a sport. Either way. Um, so I would say both. Well, I mean, either way, I don't, they, bowling. I think Vandy won a national championship in that sport game. last year or two years ago. Um, well, the NCAA recognizes it as a sport, but they. Uh, I would say those two would be good, and then I don't know. Like the, the coach, oh, the the Greco-Roman wrestling. That's <clears throat> that's hard not to. That's, I mean, that, that's pretty good. I could see Saban being really good at like darts or something. Like mm. something that's like calm and controlled. Where he just doesn't get rattled at all, and it doesn't matter right. how much pressure is on that exact moment. Bowling a little bit like that, a little bit I, like that, with how quiet I it gets. Like, I, you need yeah, to have severe also, concentration. I don't know if he'd be he'd be bowling with like a size six ball, so that's, that wouldn't be good. I think uh, I, I guarantee you, Saban would be excellent at like bocce ball. Mm, okay, I can see that. Yeah. So there you go. Some of these guys are tough though to to put in any other sport because they are such football guys. Mark right. Stoops being one of them, where he just. No, he would just have way too much contact on the basketball court. He would argue every foul. He'd probably get out there and get in an official's face. That wouldn't end well. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt, just can't picture that guy thinking about anything other than football. Um, I don't, you could barely do that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think that Kiffin in basketball, he, he maybe has a little bit more of the look. But yeah, I don't know. To me, I, I still don't see that as much. Leech in baseball makes more sense. I can see Drinkwitz being really good at darts, too. <laughs> we're going to find he's, out so much he, more about him. He's going to be a way different person than we're billing him as I'm right sure, now. yeah. Because right now, I just I view him as, like, one of the extras from, like, Goodwill Hunting that was, like, at a college bar wearing, like, a sweater over his shoulders and just talking about trivia stuff. I think Dan Mullen plays tennis. Oh, yeah. And these guys all Not, play golf and stuff. Like, I don't really count that as much because that's all pretty easy. But... Who do you think the best golfer is? Ooh, best golfer... I bet Muschamp is pretty good. I bet Muschamp is you good. You think so? Yeah, yeah. I, I bet he is. Um, though I bet he's a little bit hot-headed as well. Because why wouldn't he be? It'd be strange if he wasn't. I could picture... No, see, Saban, Saban's probably been on the golf course, but is you know does it very casually. And I don't see him getting his competitive juices flowing in that way on the golf course. Um, but Jimbo's pretty good. I bet Jimbo's also pretty good at golf. I'm pretty sure Saban made Justin Thomas, like, he would drag him out after practice to go, like, work on a short game. Wait, like, so... Like, after he, after he had left and was, like, a professional golfer. Whenever he was back in town, like, Saban would go out of his way and be like, all right, you got to help me with this, this, and this. And he's like, I, okay, just in town. Okay. But, yeah. Um, I, I can see Mullen being good at golf because he's, like, he's a bigger dude anyway. I feel like he's probably, he's probably in the best golf shape out of any other coach in the SEC. I think Mullen is finally ditching the pleated khakis. 
I think he's finally at that point. I it's taken a long time. It's taken way too yeah. long. But I think somebody finally said to him, "Look, man, the Jordans are great, but if you're going to wear them with pleated khakis, kind of takes it. away from it. It really does." Yeah. Let's go. go. To, let's go to it. Might mean too much. I think we've heard a variation of this story, and it's similar to what you said before about Saban talking about Muschamp and the way that he reacted to winning a national title and having to hit the ground running with recruiting and all that stuff. This story was told by Tua on the Rich Eisen show last week, and it was about Saban after second and 26. This was the quote from Tua. When we got into the locker room and everything settled down, he was still the same coach. He pulled me to the side like, what were you thinking taking a sack? Being who he is, he pulled me to the side and said, you know, why did you take the sack? And I thought it was a good time to joke with him. I mean, we won the national championship. So I told him, well, we needed more room to throw the ball, coach. He looked at me and like, I was laughing. He's like, that's not funny. I mean, I didn't know what else to do in that situation. I was like, okay, I'm sorry, coach. So I shook his hand and just moved on. And that is Nick Saban in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, people that he did take that sack. I will. I mean, that was, it, was, it was a bad sack. People forget about that. It was that. a bad sack, and there was also no. He threw a bad interception too in that game. I mean, he also did enough like to win the game. I don't think his numbers were like anything. I think it was like right at sixty-one percent. It wasn't anything. Like, he came in and like threw for almost two hundred yards in the second moving. half, though, and overtime, yeah. which is pretty good. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, that that game. We're not gonna get into too much Georgia fans because I I know that it still hurts and that sucks because it's they're so close and like, but yeah, that that is that's a pretty standard. It, that, that whole thing about him, I told you the story about C.J. Mosley after the 2012 game and that Geno Smith didn't get the correct signal to blitz off the corner like he was supposed to, and and I still remember watching like the like the actual like celebration afterwards and, and like confetti's falling, everyone's celebrating on the field, and C.J. Mosley is just lighting up this freshman. For almost costing him an SEC championships. That is, um, it's cliche, but that is kind of what makes you what you are. That that is what allows you to to have success at that level. And yeah. the day that Saban takes his foot off the gas is going to be the day that he, you know, is is not relevant to college football anymore. At least that's the way that his mind works. I want to read one five star review before we go here. Um, actually, can we do two? Let's do two five star yeah. reviews here. Um, better yet, in a while. Better yet, let's make it three. Let's make it three. Why not? Um, let's start with the one from January 3rd. This is from Ryan. I'm going to botch the pronunciation of your last name. Ryan Brigance? Brigancy? I'm sorry. Um, for fans of The Office, Corgis, and SEC football. The show is amazing. I've been following the Insta for about a year and finally gave the cast a listen. That's what they call podcast. Um, the guys are extremely unapologetic in their SEC bias, and I love it. Everything SEC sports, more specifically football, as well as the culture surrounding not only SEC football, but life in SEC country. To be honest, who doesn't like Texas Pete on their Waffle House hash browns? The show is very informative, but more importantly, entertaining. To be honest, probably not for fans of Clemson, UCF, or Michigan. Good job, guys. Keep up the good work. Go Gators. Thanks, Ryan. I like that. That was good. Um... Okay, next one from HeyGood24 says, The best podcast. These two guys are the best. They work so well with each other. Chris and Connor are hilarious. Chris gets fired up, and Connor knows how to mellow him out. They will say things that will make you mad about the team you cheer for, but they will also show your team some love when others don't. Go Cox, go SDS Pod. Thanks, Thanks, dude. Thanks, HeyGood. I wouldn't have pronounced it that way, but I'm impressed that you went there. That makes way more sense than my pronunciation of it. HeyGood. This last one is from Ann Klein. Um, subject, great pod. 
Love the pod. As someone who grew up an SEC fan but went to another Power 5 school, it has been awesome to hear different points of views on the SEC. I think Chris does a great job of bringing passion for his school while also giving good insights on the conference. Connor keeps the flow going great and also brings a fresh perspective on the SEC as someone who has not been entrenched in it his whole life. I love the interviews and also love hearing what the over and understand each game will be have loved listening weekly and will continue to do so into the off season. Thank you, Ann Klein, for that. Thank you to everybody who has sent us a five-star review. I want to give a special shout-out to the podcast that you, my friend, have just started oh, yeah. with our friends Kristen Sabin and our friend Paige Kuhn, Bleacher Report. Y'all are talking Bachelor stuff, so if you want Bachelor takes, tell them where they, they can find all of your great fire takes on who Pilot Pete is going to end up with. Oh my gosh! It's, I think we've chosen the worst possible season to do it, but uh, yeah. So we started a podcast called Rose Tide Roll. Uh, it is, Who came up with the name? That was me. Um, no, way. that was me. And then I did like a design and all this other stuff. It's been pretty fun. But we did we did one episode. We're trying to figure out like how the. I tell you what, man. Not having a producer do a do the podcast is is a lot. Shout out! I, I didn't realize how much work that. Yeah, man. I did. I did edit an entire fifty seven minute podcast, and all of our audio was off last week. Regardless, it's a fun time. Uh, Kristen's got some funny stories and, and some hilarious takes as well. And then Paige, um, if you like The Bachelor or if you like sports in general, because uh, it's basically just more relaxed in the offseason. If I don't get at least one guest spot on that, with my fire takes, I'm just going to audition the entire year to get a guest spot on the podcast. We, if we can figure out, we can barely figure out how to record with three people. So if that happens, uh, we will try, we'll try to make that happen get it with four people yeah that'd be impressive uh, make sure if you have not yet for whatever reason join our facebook group blowing up into the off season keeping you busy throughout the long few months ahead saturday down south podcast on facebook if you have not given us a five-star review yet please do so if you're not subscribed to this if you just kind of pick a random episode that you want to listen to maybe you like whatever is in in the headline or something like that just go ahead and listen now i promise we're not going to blow up your feed it's not going to be too difficult to keep up with we're going to have great interviews we're going to have great content for you throughout the entire off season you're going to want to be subscribed so make sure that you do that follow us on instagram saturday down south make sure you follow us on twitter at the sds pod at Vern funquist at cj o'gara follow all of our news content at sec football follow marler's great great stuff on twitter at sds as well marler facebook live when's the next one coming in Monday, 7.30. Monday, 7.30, right before The Bachelor. Oh, you're going to be a little ramped up. Um, Thank you to Matt Miller for coming on. Um, A lot of fun that we were able to have with him. Going to have an old buddy back on next week. That is the current plan. Looking forward to getting to talk with this guy who is a very, very frequent guest of this podcast. Marler, Coach O, Sam Pittman, any of the golfers, tennis players, dart players out there, what do we need to remember? I, I tell you what, man, this is Matt Luke. Talk about Matt Luke, offensive line coach, Georgia football. It might mean too much. Talk to you guys next week. <laughs>